There were basically like two trains of thought this week as it related to playing Derrick Henry. You know, either you wanted to play him and you were thinking something like, you know, it's cosmically impossible for Derrick Henry to fail twice in December. The Titans have a massive team total. They're favored by a touchdown against the terrible Jacksonville run defense. You know, a team that, by the way, Henry has been the absolute daddy of for years now. Or you wanted to fade him and your train of thought was probably something like, duh, a doy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, in all in all seriousness, there was there was a lot of people saying that that Derrick Henry is unplayable when he's priced up, uh, you know, as high as he was on DraftKings specifically, a full PPR site. And at eighty seven hundred, there was like, you know, no way I'm playing Derrick Henry. He's a bad play, although, you know, he he's probably gonna go off and break the slate, but I'm just not playing him because I'm just <laughs> stuck in my process and my projection ways. And it's like, yeah, Obviously, you want to take into account projections and ownership and and all that. And he doesn't catch a lot of passes. So he won't project, you know, as well as other running backs. So I could see why, you know, sharp people or professionals in the DFS community don't play him. But in this spot, it's it's just like you kind of just have to throw away the projections, to be honest, like at, at least for Derrick Henry, because this is obviously a player that's capable of putting up big games, even though he doesn't catch passes. And if Derrick Henry, you know, is 8,700 and he's in a great spot with all of the, you know, the great details that you listed, I just don't see a reason to fade him. And you know, a lot of people's thinking was like, oh, I can only play one of, you know, Henry Adams or Kelsey, right? No, you could have played two of them. That was the obvious construction in cash games. And we'll we'll talk about that later in the podcast, but you could have easily played Derrick Henry with one of those other guys. I, I just don't understand, you know, the bias against Derrick Henry. Well, I, I mean, I do understand it, but at, at some point in time, you just have to, you know, take a step back and realize that this is the definition of a grown ass man and he's capable of breaking any slate that he touches. And, you know, I, I just don't know what to tell people anymore because they just don't understand. So we'll let them keep on losing money. Yeah. And we'll keep on winning the money because we, we won pretty easily today. Yeah, next week people are going to be like, oh man, Derrick Henry's in a great spot at home against the Lions, but he's, you know, what, 9,500 or whatever. (laughs) I I can't play him up. All right, bet. Send the head to head. (laughs) Send it. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 116 of the DFS Dose Podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we are going to recap week 14 in the NFL from a DFS perspective. We'll talk about the highly owned cash game plays and the decision points that you had to make around them. We'll talk about the million dollar lineup, what it took to win a million dollars on DraftKings this week. And of course, we'll close out the show with some of the interesting stats and storylines from the week. 
But before we get into any of that, Joey, can you tell the people how they can support the podcast? You can help support the DFS Dose by following us on Twitter at the DFS Dose. That's where we tweet out all links to our content that we publish, you know, on any given day of the week. So make sure you are following us over there. And then another way you can help support us is by making sure you are subscribed or follow to the podcast on whatever podcast platform you use, you know, whether that be Spotify, Apple, SoundCloud, etc. Just make sure you are subscribed. It's free, obviously. And then another way to help the DFS Dose to support us is to go over to your YouTube app and search up the DFS Dose and make sure you are subscribed to our YouTube channel where Ben and I put out videos every single week about DraftKings. And then we also upload clips from this podcast over there. So make sure you are subscribed over there. And then lastly, if you want, you could join our free discord chat which is linked down below in the description where we talk about dfs every single day um we have a dfs chat we have a best bets chat and and we post some other stuff in there so make sure you join the discord uh like i said it's free and, and it's just a great tool if you want to become a better dfs player have we had a, a 150 over on youtube yet uh no i think we're at like 140 ish Oh man, I need the people to stop bugging out and get us there. We're close. I can feel it. Hit that <laughs> subscribe button. Mash it. <laughs> so this week, Joey, this was a really interesting week. It was a turbulent week. A lot of stuff happened in the latter part of the week that kind of changed the slate. Just a couple of key plays that either became available or as was the case with the Jets wide receiver situation sort of, you know, became unavailable, I guess, contrary to what we were expecting. So let's talk about the highly owned cash game plays, and then we'll circle to the decision points that we made around them. Uh, these ownerships come from the $25 single entry massive double up on DraftKings. It's like a 7,000 person field. And this week, the highly owned running backs were actually extremely surprising to me. Usually it's it's pretty, you know, uh, as expected. But this week, J.D. McKissick was the highest owned running back. I found that to be extremely surprising. He was 41.6%. Derrick Henry after that, 358 DeAndre Washington, 32.2%. And David Montgomery, 273 uh, Also, some ancillary guys like Eckler and Ronald Jones were sitting around 20%. Wide receiver, as expected, Devontae Adams dominated the ownership with 52.8%. And uh, Brashad Perryman behind him at 36.5. And that's kind of where the chalk stopped at wide receiver. There were some other secondary popular plays like Curtis, Samuel, Keenan Allen, Kiki QT. They were all around 20%. Tight end, the chalk was Logan Thomas at 24%. And at quarterback, it really circled around Aaron Rodgers, who was 36.6, and Justin Herbert at 20. So that, that really accounted for over half of the quarterback ownership between those two guys. In the end, the cash line in that massive double up was 146 point three eight with comparable cash lines across the rest of the single entry double ups joey how did you do on the week had another uh w in cash game so that's four weeks in a row mm. with you know a w in terms of cash games my lineup scored 164.80 points 100 win rate in double ups 87 percent total win rate in cash games and i won 85 percent of my head-to-head so a solid week in the cash department it's good to book another win but in terms of the uh, gpp streets not so much had a total L of a day did didn't even min cash in any GPP so that that's tough because that's obviously where the money is that's where you know the large prize money is and you know still still haven't gotten up there which is annoying and 
and tilting, but there, there's always next week. So hopefully I can get, hopefully I can get one under the belt before the season's over. Yeah. Um, who knows? Maybe not. I got faith in you. We got it. And we got some good, uh, we got some good tournament slates coming up. We might even have some, you know, specific shows planned for the Saturday slate, et cetera, coming up. Uh, for me this week, you know, I had, I had a pretty decent week, had a 58.5% total win rate in cash games with 155.8 points. So that was good enough to cash in all the double ups, you know, one, just a little over half of my head to heads. So that was a dub in cash games. And I, I had a pretty good week in GPPs too. You know, on that Tuesday showdown slate, I, I binked one of the smaller entry tournaments. It was the $4 three max and then came back and finished second place in the early only $4 three max. So I've kind of found my niche. Obviously, I just have to enter those tournaments every single week, <laughs> finish second in that this week. Um, you know, I had a top 40 finish in the early only um, $10, 35000 It was like 100 k to first tournament. I forget what it's called but you know that was a good sweat for me because i don't usually play too many you know massive field tournaments so not not usually sweating six figures it was a decent sweat didn't quite get the pure run out that i needed to bank it but you know all in all another profitable week for both of us so that's always good dfs dose smashing as always in terms of the decision points for the week the most surprising thing about this slate hands down to me as soon as it was locked and I was looking through the ownerships on the slate was that DeAndre Washington was only 32% owned in cash. I mean, I honestly believed that he was going to be 60 plus percent owned. So was I way off in expecting that? Because to me, he just seemed like the ultimate value that freed up the ability to get up to two of the guys that we talked about at the top of the show, whether that was Adams, Henry, or Kelsey, and playing two of those guys, like you referenced, was the clear optimal build. It was never going to be Kelsey because, you know, you don't pay up for tight end as long as you got a brain. I don't know. I mean, to me, (laughs) you know, DeAndre Washington just immediately freed up Adams and Henry, and he was a stone lock as soon as he became available when Miles Gaskin was ruled out on Saturday. Yeah, I thought he was a lock in cash games uh, as well at 4K, the minimum. And we knew that he would at least be on the field and get touches from one of the previous weeks when Gaskin and uh, Ahmed were out and DeAndre Washington, you know, he had what, like 15 touches in, in that game a couple weeks ago. Yeah. So we knew that he would get touches in this spot. And, you know, I thought he was going to be 50% at least. Um, 60% seemed very likely to me pre-lock, especially if people were on the same build as us. And like you said, it, it was clearly the optimal build, I think, for this week was jamming in two of those players. Um, and you, you probably didn't go wrong if you did pay up to Kelsey. I will say that, although we paid down, uh, Kelsey still had a phenomenal game. Yeah. DeAndre Washington. I mean, he, I thought he was a lock, only scored seven points, but he touched the ball 15 times, had a couple more opportunities than that. He had one or two goal line carries, if I'm not mistaken. So process-wise, I feel like he was a good play. He allowed you to get the right build. And yeah, that's all I can say about DeAndre Washington. It was just about what he allowed you to do. Not that he was a great play because obviously he would come off the field for Patrick Laird, which was very evident once once they got down by, you know, 20 points. Um, it, It was strictly Laird in there as the pass game running back. But he still touched the ball a good amount and he still had opportunities to score more than seven. I feel like that was just the low range of outcomes for Washington in in terms of his box score. Yeah. I mean, I, w- I would definitely say that he ran bad, especially like if you actually watched the game and you saw that in the first quarter, it felt like 
you know, there were a couple turnovers and they were just constantly in scoring position, but it just, it never went to Washington. He had like 10 touches in the first quarter and finished with 15. Yeah. Once they got down, it was like you yep. said, it was Laird and it was uh Lynn Bowden who I, I guess he's a wide receiver now, but you know, he still mm-hmm. kind of lines up all over the place and he had nine targets as well. So it just didn't go to Washington, but Washington still had what, like five targets, right? So yeah, I he mean, had he was four targets and two catches. So he still saw targets, but I could see why people didn't play him. Cause you know, we were talking about it in discord. It was kind of thin, but like I said, it was what he allowed you to do with the rest of your, of your lineup. And that's some of the plays that we had to make this week. Like they weren't necessarily good plays. It was just about, you know, jamming in those studs that we thought had 30, 40 point upside. Right. When, when you have guys like Adams and Henry and Kelsey, even who can completely separate from the position and we saw Kelsey do it and we saw Henry do it. It's, it's kind of like, yeah, I mean, I'm fine taking 15 touches at min price, even if it's not like the optimal setup with them, you know, being underdogs and this and that. But still, I mean, so you could you could make the argument if you were one of the 68% of people who faded him that you made the right choice. He didn't even 2x his min price salary. But at the same time, if you if you did fade him and you were paying up, then, you know, some of those savings that you were giving up probably prohibited you from playing two of those three elite players. And at that point, you were kind of sunk because Adams at 52%, you know, he put up nearly 30 points. Henry put up nearly 40 points. Kelsey had 30 and and those guys were all owned. And I mean, they were just they were just clear cut plays. So if you weren't on that build that had two of them, it's just you were kind of taking an L from the start. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think that people were fine with fading Washington because JD McKissick was the highest on running back and he was only 4,900. But both of us kind of agreed that he wasn't that great of a play this week with no Antonio Gibson, but I could see why people went there. So I, I think if people went there, they still could have fit Adams and Henry. It's just some of these ancillary players like David Montgomery, who was 27%, if you paid up to him, you you could have not been on Devontae or Derrick Henry and then some of the other guys in that range like Keenan Allen and a couple of the mid-5K guys that you also said were kind of owned in cash games, so DeAndre Washington was was fine, um, JD McKissick, eh, but other than that, it, it was just about getting Adams and Henry into, into the cash game lineup for me this week, period. Yeah, it it was really that simple. Um, I agree with that. So in terms of like secondary decision points, because once we had those guys, we were kind of happy and it was just a matter of fitting the rest of the lineup. I think the Jamison Crowder situation was really interesting because, you know, it kind of felt like he was destined to be ruled out as soon as he got added to the injury report late in the week. And I don't know what it was because it wasn't like a strict report. It wasn't like Schefter or Ian Rappaport. It just like there was like this weird ominous aura this morning where like people were starting mm-hmm. to talk like yo is is Jamison Crowder gonna play like I don't know where that came from but I started thinking about it and there was no news and you and I both had a really similar construction we only differed in the defense we played so we were both on Barrios and Eckler going into that and then we were talking about it it's like you know I think Crowder might play which kind of you know retracts Barrios's value so between like the instability of Barrios as a play and then Leonard Fournette getting ruled a healthy scratch at uh 11:30 a.m. this morning I think the 2v2 switch kind of made itself 
going down from Eckler to Ronald Jones with no Fournette in the lineup and then going up to Perryman, whose value was kind of insulated regardless of if Crowder played or not. It was a $900 discount. It fit perfectly. You didn't have to make any other changes in your lineup. And to me, it was it was kind of like extremely easy to make that, that 2v2 decision. I mean, I got on Ronald Jones heavy this morning. Yeah, I definitely did the same. And he had a solid game, 15 points, but thought he would have had a better day than that, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, but just speaking about the 2v2 specifically, Barrios was out of play once we got no news on Crowder. So we had to come off Barrios and go to Perryman. And like you said, it, it just fit perfectly going down from Eckler to Rojo and uh, up to Perryman from Barrios, which I thought was the most optimal switch in terms of process. And, you know, it was fine. The Eckler and Barrios side actually ended up outscoring yeah. the Rojo and Perryman side, which is kind of tilting but we we knew that Eckler was probably a better play than Rojo just due to his catching upside but we couldn't really take the risk with getting a zero a zero <laughs> we couldn't take the risk with getting a zero in our lineup from Barrio so we kind of were forced to play Perryman and you know, I, I just, I just want to say it like, I, I haven't played Jets wide receivers much this year. And I know people have been on it. I know you, you know, you've played Denzel Mims a couple weeks in cash games. And it's just like, I just hate playing these guys because all Adam Gase wants to do is just get in and get out. Like he doesn't care about throwing the ball when they're down by 30. He's still going to hand the ball off. Sam Darnold is ass. The Jets are ass, obviously. And that's why I try and stay away from Jets wide receivers personally. Like I've never, I don't want to say never, but I haven't played Denzel Mims in cash. I've played him in tournaments, but for for this week specifically, I was fine with going with Perryman in, in a great spot against Seattle. I wasn't very comfortable with it. I didn't think he was you know, as good of a play as some other people might have thought. But like I mentioned earlier, and basically the theme of cash games is is what it allowed you to do with the rest of your lineup. So sometimes you just have to make those thinner plays in order to get the build that you want. And that's ultimately how I felt about this week and what I felt was the right thing to do in cash games and it worked out. Yeah, just um, that all makes sense to me for sure. And I thought Berrios was a better play, assuming Crowder had been out than Perryman because Mm -hmm. A, the risk of playing a Jets wide receiver was mitigated when it was $900 cheaper. And also, like you said, Darnold is complete ass. He has no ability to get the ball downfield. All of, you know, Mims and Perryman's better games came with Flacco. He just favors the slot so much. So I thought it was super thin, but I was actually pretty bullish on Rojo because we saw the Bucks total rising with Fournette out and the quotes that we had out of Bruce Arians over the bye about him wanting to get Ronald Jones 20 touches and we saw him get 19 touches out of the 25 that they saw in the backfield so he did dominate work and he got a touchdown so he got there he just you know didn't get the bonus didn't really have much of a receiving role but just when you looked at it from sort of a holistic point of view you're like yeah I'm sacrificing a little bit of floor with Eckler and the targets he's gonna get because I mean you expect him to get seven plus targets slash receptions and I I think he had nine targets and he caught all of them if I'm not mistaken right so I mean Eckler had a great game receiving and that's what you expect from him but with Rojo having a you know seven point higher implied team total I thought that that pivot was sort of fine and that his you know scoring upside in that spot specifically 
made up for the reception uh, floor that you were giving up. So that's just kind of how I was thinking about that switch that I made last minute. You know, I, I could definitely see that. Personally, I still believe that Eckler was a better play. I just, I, like I said, I couldn't play Berrios with with the risk of a zero. I could definitely see the reasoning behind Rojo, and obviously we both played him, so we ended up with the same lineup basically besides the defense. You know, we won, so... I think that it was the correct process move, and it was a great week for for us in in cash games. So, speaking of the defense difference that we had, I mean, I was kind of all aboard the Eagles train, and they got there, you know, through some sacks and through Taysom Hill's willingness to just fumble, like he loves to do it. So that's kind of why I was on the Eagles for twenty two hundred. But you played Dallas, and I I kind of completely overlooked this Dallas play. I was shocked that they were so highly owned, that they were so chalky. I mean, you played them. Like 40% of people playing cash game played them. You know, why Why was Dallas such a standout play? I just completely missed this in my process. Yeah, so it's just more so that they were facing, you know, a Bengals team that really has no talent right now on the offensive side of the ball, obviously with losing Mixon and Joe Burrow for the season and whatnot. So they were facing Brandon Allen, who's a trash quarterback, right? Um, They had one of the better defensive line versus offensive line mismatches. And it, it was just a good spot for Dallas D. Uh, it was really just because they were facing Brandon Allen, who has been throwing the ball quite a bit. So there was some turnover over upside and obviously they got you know a fumble six and a couple sacks and and got there and got 18 points so that's pretty lit but I could but I thought they were better than the Eagles although they were on the road and you left 200 on the board to play the Eagles instead of going up to the Cowboys ended up scoring nine points less but you know that that nine points could have made a difference in some of your head to heads. I would like to believe so. It did. I mean, just on that note, that was kind of something that I've been doing more and more recently. Especially is just like if I don't think that there's a serious advantage, and I and I didn't. Obviously, I was wrong mm-hmm. because Dallas D completely snapped. I mean, I'm not going to really feel bad about that looking back at it because I'm never projecting touchdowns for a defense. So you know, it it is what it is. Obviously, a lot of people thought it was a good play, and it was so good for them. But I mean, I I am intentionally trying to leave a little bit of salary or or at least just being cognizant of what that salary does for late swap flexibility, especially in a week where, you know, I had a lot of chalk in my lineup. So I I don't know. That's kind of how I was looking at it. But I don't know how you feel about necessarily building your lineups for the possibility of late swap. I know you mentioned something about like you don't want to have the the mindset about being ready to lose or or something along those lines. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I I definitely understand. And, you know, I was more so just kind of messing around when I said that but that that's also a thing is I don't want to go into a slate thinking that you know I got to be ready to lay swap because I'm going to be you know dusted in the in the first games I, I think that is part of it but also you know you do have to be cognizant of your options just in case you are down but I feel like the Cowboys defense was a better play for 200 more and although you wouldn't have had any salary remaining I still feel like there were pivots that you could have made even without having salary remaining, if you were down, like uh, just for example, what what I mentioned in the Discord is I would have went down to Jalen Hurts from Rodgers and up from Perryman to, you know, a random wide receiver and hope that they uh went off and, and separated, you know, from the pack. And one of those wide receivers could have been Brandon Ayuk. So yeah. that could that could have been a pivot if you were down to make. That's all I was trying to say is that the pivot that the pivot still could have been made 
even without the $200 uh, on the board. But I could see where you're coming from. So I don't, I don't think it was wrong, but, and the, and it's, and it's not like the Eagles scored two points. They got 10. Oh yeah. And they got there. They, they, it was a good, it was a good play. I, you know, I had Eagles defense in for most of the week, uh, right up until, uh, you know, Saturday night when DeAndre Washington became available and had the couple extra hundred. So I looked at some of the ownership projections, saw Dallas was going to be high owned and just go with the chalk defense at that point. That was my strategy for defense. But, you know, talk talk about defense yeah. a, little, a little too long right now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's as bad as tight end. It just doesn't yeah. matter. Um, yeah, just pay down. <laughs> yeah. The the final decision point, I think, in cash games was between Aaron Rodgers and Justin Herbert. I mean, these two guys ended up being the highest owned quarterbacks in cash games. Um, you know, I don't want to say I told you so and not you specifically, but like the people in general. It's just like I thought that Justin Herbert's chances of busting in this spot, despite it being a good matchup. We're a little bit higher. We've seen the Falcons play up in some spots. I mean, they completely limited the Raiders and Justin Herbert was coming off of two really bad weeks. I mean, a week that he got shut out 45 to zero or whatever against the Patriots. So that to me was just not in Aaron Rodgers's range of outcomes going against a super soft Detroit team, a team that he's dominated in the past. And just with the way that they throw, throw, throw constantly, even in the red zone, even when they're up. So to me, it's just like for the amount of salary that the difference was, it was what, $700. Like to me, Aaron Rodgers' floor was much higher and his ceiling is much higher with the way that he's playing at a complete MVP level. So to me, it was definitely a priority to get Aaron Rodgers in there. Yeah. And, you know, I wasn't on it earlier in the week because I thought Herbert was a, was just in too good of a spot. But when the week progressed and I really started to, to look at things and analyze things, um, Rogers just made the most sense, especially if you were playing Devontae Adams. So just a natural pairing in, in cash games, a very high upside pairing nonetheless. So that's why I kind of got on Rogers and the bill just fit perfectly with him as well. So didn't really need to save the 700 off of Rodgers to Herbert unless it was really necessary and you really wanted to fit another piece in you know for the, for extra salary that you may have needed so yeah Rodgers was definitely the play this week and I, th- I think he was QB1 if I'm not mistaken this week on, on DraftKings yeah I wouldn't be surprised I mean he had three passing touchdowns and a rushing touchdown just short of the bonus but yeah I mean phenomenal day for Rodgers two weeks running we can transition here to the million dollar lineup, what it took to win a milli on DK. This week's winner, God, what a lineup. Username 40 Fortner. And for the second straight week, a Raider stack wins it and a two tight end build wins it. I mean, God, <laughs> what are the odds? Derek Carter, Nelson Aguilar with no bring back. And then a couple of really highly suspect double team correlations. And I mean, like David Montgomery and Allen Robinson on the same team, Henry and AJ Brown on the same team, which I mean, you could make the argument negatively correlate with one another in terms of ceiling. And then he brought back the Titan side of the ball with a Jaguar and Tyler Eifert. I mean, you know, everybody's favorite Jacksonville <laughs> bring back from 2015 and then finished it off with his second tight end, Mike Gesicki, who had, I'm pretty sure two touchdowns. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. and then Cowboys D as well, which was the nuts. All in all, 222.74 points, 81.75% cumulative ownership. That is highly contrarian, as was evident by the three sub 1% players that he had in this lineup. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, what a lineup. (laughs) 
<laughs> Crazy. Oh, oh my God. You know, I just have to say it. Like, I, I don't want to be a hater. No. But you got people that are in this space that put hours of work in, you know, researching, looking at projections, reading articles, you know, talking to other people, discussing, you know, lineups and whatnot, whatever the case may be, you know, actually putting in, you know, 15, 20 hours a week to try and win money on Sunday. And then you got people like this guy that just make a random ass lineup. And I I will say it is correlated, although some of those correlations could be negative, you know, in the grand scheme of things. But there there's evidence that Henry and A.J. Brown can get there in the same game, especially if Henry gets long runs and A.J. Brown gets long touchdowns, which they're both capable of. And uh, we can maybe include that for David Montgomery and Allen Robinson in good spots. But God, this lineup is just terrible. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's not a good lineup. Like, I don't think any sharp person is ever putting this lineup into a tournament. That's the you know, problem. I, I just, Too I just, much group <laughs> think among the so-called sharps, but what's actually sharp is playing Tyler Whoever Eifer you want. <laughs> and stacking the Raiders every single week, or the Browns, who I think won it twice back-to-back like before this. So it's like, yep. you just need to stack you know, really questionable offenses and then just bank. Bank the absolute nuts. It's really that simple. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, it, it is that simple. Just play the good plays is is winning. Um, game stacks right now in DFS aren't winning tournaments. It's it's just random people picking random players, to be honest, and they're just smashing. And, and maybe we can see that moving forward for the last couple of weeks of NFL where game stacks aren't a necessity. And maybe we should start considering that like in tournaments. I, I still think stacking is the way to go and playing a quarterback and two wide receivers hasn't won recently at all. So I think we have to take that into consideration. You should probably just be playing one quarterback with his one wide receiver in large field tournaments, I think. And maybe we just have to just start picking random players, to be honest. It's winning. Yeah, I mean, I could have closed my eyes and put this lineup together, and it would have been better than anything that I spent hours like, on all week. So, how do, how do you pick Tyler Eifert in your flex? I mean, maybe this guy was a Bengals fan circa 2013 when he had, like, 14 touchdowns or whatever. Nah. <laughs> nah. How do you How do you have a brain... And you pick Tyler Eifert. And what was he like? 3300 3400 I have no idea. I have but no I know, idea what his price is. <laughs> but I know he was around players like Komet, Jordan Akins, Logan Thomas, etc. So first of all, how do you even pick Tyler Eifert? And second of all, why do you even put him in your flex? That just makes no sense to me. Uh, the, re- the rest of the lineup, I guess, isn't too bad. Like, he, he made good plays. David Montgomery was in a great spot. Allen Robinson was in a great spot. You know, the Titans were in a great spot against Jacksonville. So I can't really blame him on that, and, and that was good. But I mean, I was shocked because when someone texted me that it was a Raider stack that did it back-to-back, like, I was like, oh, bet he's probably got the uh, Jonathan Taylor bring back, right? But nope. nope. Like, oh, <laughs> oh, okay. What about T.Y. Hilton? He had 25. Nope. Oh, but he had Tyler Eifert and Mike Kosicki. All right. I just, I don't know. I don't know. You know, maybe we're, we're just not sharp enough to understand how to win a million dollars. I think that's a problem. We're just stone sheep. 
can't think for ourselves, yeah. can't think about playing <laughs> Mike Gesicki and, and Tyler Eifert in the same lineup. And until we get yeah. to that mind space, we're never going to be millionaires. That's a fact. I truly believe that. God. All right. Moving on to interesting stats. Let's get away from that lineup. It's just giving me a headache looking at it. Jalen Hurts. God, it's here. It's finally here. I've been waiting for this for weeks. I've been touting it for weeks. And Jalen Hurts' first start did not disappoint. Had 167 yards and a touchdown passing on 30 attempts. Completed 17 of those. But the real story here is that he rushed 18 times for 106 yards. He is only the second quarterback in the last 70 years to run for over 100 yards in his first career game. The other quarterback is Lamar Jackson. Man, Jalen Hurts is everything that we hyped him up to be and more. What do you think about this Eagles offensive resurgence and the kid? Yeah, I mean, Jalen Hurts was was pretty solid in this game. And just in terms of fantasy and DFS, if he runs like this, he could be a lock in the next couple of weeks in some good spots against Arizona and Dallas for the Eagles. 100 yards on the ground against the Saints defense that didn't give up a 100-yard rusher in their last 55 games. They gave up two in yeah. this game to Miles Sanders and Jalen Hurts, which is crazy. But yeah, I mean, Jalen Hurts is clear-cut better than Carson Wentz right now, oh just God. off one game. You could say that for a fact. 17 of 30 through the air, 167 and 1. So not that great of a passing game, but he still made some good throws and he ultimately looked good out there and led the Eagles on multiple long drives. Some of those drives, they didn't uh, convert that to points, which was disappointing, but nonetheless, he still looked good and I still and I think he will be viable moving forward in DFS. Um, we just know that rushing quarterbacks have more upside than quarterbacks who don't run. And if Jalen Hurts runs the ball for 10 plus times a game, God, th- this dude could be a league winner in redraft leagues. Yeah. And I mean, just in terms of the entire Eagles offense, it's like they just got juiced up for this guy. It was completely different than what it looked like with Carson Wentz. Miles Sanders had 136 total yards, his most of the season. Jalen Rager had 65 total yards, his most of the season. Like this offense was completely turned around. So all the people who were like, well, you know, it's probably not Carson Wentz's fault. Like Doug Peterson would put in Jalen Hurts if he was ready. He just must not be ready. It's like, no, like Doug Peterson should have been fired at halftime once they saw how well Jalen Hurts looked and how this Eagles offense just instantly turned around. I mean, there's no way that Doug Peterson has a job after after waiting, what, 14 weeks to put this dude in and just letting them die on this Carson Wentz Hill for no <laughs> reason, just for some outdated sense of loyalty. I mean, this kid has the chance to be something special. Yeah, and I definitely agree, but it's going to be interesting to see what the Eagles do moving forward because I truly don't know if they'll fire him in the offseason, uh, Doug Peterson, that is. And they're still tied to Carson Wentz for multiple seasons beyond this. They definitely won't be able to release him or trade him in this offseason. They owe him some crazy penalty, like $55 million or, or something stupid like that. I mean, they uh, can't play t- him either, though. I mean, yeah, that that's why they're in probably the biggest predicament out of any team in the NFL because right now you have a a quarterback in Jalen Hurts who is better than Carson Wentz but you're tied to Wentz financially and obviously you drafted him to be the franchise quarterback I think they still have hope that he can return to his MVP form you know from a couple years ago and maybe he can maybe he can't 
but from what we've seen from him this year, he he's done. You know, with Philadelphia at least, and he, I, th- I think he needs to go to a new team. Uh, and it, it's just going to be interesting to see what the Eagles do. Uh, they won't even name a starter. That that's how crazy the situation yeah. there. Yeah, <laughs> that that's All how right. crazy the situation is in Philadelphia. They they are just mentally tied to Carson Wentz. They're physically tied to him and they are financially tied to Carson Wentz so they they got a they got a big decision to make come 2021 man I mean that decision feels like it makes itself if you have two eyes um so what do you think I should do with these cards is it time to should I sell high after a record-breaking day where he goes for 100 yards uh or should I should I hold no you definitely have to hold the cards 100% that's what I was thinking I mean I, I might even buy some more because, I mean, the price is going to be up after this game, but it might not be as up as it will be, you know, come the beginning of 2021 when he's the starter and he finishes off this season with some monster games. People are thinking he's the next Lamar Jackson. I, th- I still think we're in a buying window, no cap. Yeah, definitely, for sure. Let's talk about another exciting rookie, Jonathan Taylor, a.k.a. the best running back in the NFL. I mean, God. 20 for 150 and two, two receptions for 15 yards, 33 and a half DraftKings points. I mean, this guy just made anybody who was out on YouTube making vids, calling him Trent Richardson 2.0, calling him a bust, this and that. He just made him look like complete clowns. (laughs) Yeah. Jonathan Taylor looked like the best running back in the NFL in week 14. Had a had a long sixty seven or seventy yard touchdown run is starting to separate himself from the rest of the Colts running backs, although they are still playing Naheem Hines quite a bit. Jonathan Taylor looks to be the real deal, and I mean we've been on it this whole season. So shout out to us. Yeah. Um we didn't we didn't call him a bust or anything, one of the biggest busts in fantasy football to be specific. Yeah, that that definitely wasn't us. And yeah. if it was you know, we apologize for not waiting until three weeks for before the season is over for Jonathan Taylor to break out. <laughs> Sorry. That that's on us. It's like it's like a really weird predicament, right? Because like if you drafted him with a third round pick, you probably didn't make the playoffs in redraft, but you know, maybe you somehow skated by, you hit on James Robinson late or something, and now you know you started him this week, you're sailing to the money, probably won you the week. Mm-hmm. And you know, next week so somehow you're in week 15 of your redraft league. He's home against Houston, as I'm sure will be a massive favorite in that spot. God, I mean, Jonathan Taylor next week. I don't know, man. Home at Houston. Yeah, I mean, could could be a lock. We'll have to wait and see for the salary. But ultimately, I stand by Jonathan Taylor still being a bust in terms of his ADP just because he might have won you your playoff game this week or got you to the playoffs with his performance last week doesn't mean he was a good pick. By any means, he was trash for most of the season. And and it's hard for people to separate that, I think, when they see him go off for 30 points in the most crucial time of the year. But when you get 10 weeks, 11 weeks of non-existent production from Jonathan Taylor, he's still one of the biggest busts for fantasy football. Don't get me wrong. I will stand by that statement. And, you know, the, the people can enjoy it. The Jonathan Taylor truthers can bask in this moment knowing that in week 14, they finally got the breakout game in, in week 14. So shout out to them. The, I don't know if this is a good look for you. It's like you're trying to like shovel dirt on his grave, but he ain't in the coffin anymore. He's walking around, you know, whistling around the cemetery. He's Gucci. He, he's, he's not in the grave. 
I'll admit it. He, he's been good. And maybe we, you know, have seen the, the switching of the guard. Maybe Jonathan Taylor is the workhorse in Indy. I still think they're going to play their backup running backs plenty. Hines is still going to be involved. Maybe not Wilkins as much anymore since jo- Jonathan Taylor has been good the last couple of weeks, but Hines is still going to play. You know, it, it's still about to be week 15 and you had to wait two and a half, almost three months for Jonathan Taylor to break out. Yeah, he was he was a great pick in the in the third round. God. <laughs> Just the the results the results people on YouTube and you know they probably won't even watch the whole clip that I'm gonna throw up and they're they're just gonna clown. God, yeah. I hate those people because they, they just don't understand the big picture. The best part about these stories is when they go on the old videos that are like two months old. Oh, yeah. Two months old. I know old. they're coming for both of our throats. I don't even want to look tomorrow morning. <laughs> the comments are going to be there of people that have already commented saying how LOL, Jonathan Taylor. these guys. <laughs> Clowns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just talking shit about us from videos that we posted in October. Like, my guy, look at the date of the video. <laughs> Jesus. God, I mean, wow. All right, let's keep it moving here. The rookie class this year, I mean, we're talking about Jalen Hurts and Jonathan Taylor to start off the show. How about Brandon Ayuk? To me, it seems like the level of season that he's having right now is just completely flying under the radar. I mean, this dude had 16 targets today, went 10 for 166 Granted, Debo Samuel did get injured, and that injury was uh, reportedly not good, which probably just boosts Ayuk's outlook for the next couple of weeks. He had a 28% share of targets coming into this week over the last four games. That's only going to skyrocket, and now he is less than 300 yards away from hitting 1,000 yards as a rookie, and over the next three weeks, they play Dallas, Arizona, and Seattle. I mean, that's a super favorable schedule. I mean, Brandon Ayuk seems to be like a first-rounder that's completely under the radar, all the talk is on Justin Jefferson, CeeDee Lamb, even Jerry Judy to a certain extent. But really, I mean, Ayuk has been one of the most productive rookie wide receivers we've seen. Yeah, Ayuk's having, you know, quietly a very solid year. And he he's probably the wide receiver too uh, for rookies right now. I want to I want to think behind Justin Jefferson. And, and you could have got him like in the second round of dynasty drafts in the offseason. So Ayuk's having a great year. And we, we talked about him a little bit on the preview podcast. And he was a good play this week. No was, cap. Yeah. He 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 was a very good play. I can't believe that. I kind of just forgot about him when I started making my lineups. Uh, maybe should have listened to the preview episode again. But he he's going to be featured if Debo is not in the game. And we saw that today with 16 targets. And in the next couple of weeks, he has two out of the three best matchups that you can have for a wide receiver. So I think we'll be talking about Ayuk a lot in the next coming weeks. Uh, for DraftKings. Yeah, and a lot this offseason because, I mean, if he finishes off this season, he's going to have a lot of buzz going into next year as well. I mean, I don't know, man. He might be the guy there. I don't want to speak ill of Debo, but Debo's missed a lot of time. Brennan Ayuk's coming out firing. I don't know. I don't know which one I'm going to have ranked higher when it comes to (laughs) best ball season. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree. Something to keep an eye on. This next one, this isn't necessarily like a full storyline, but just something I raised my eyebrows at. Saw Alvin Kamara got seven catches today from Taysom Hill. That's more than double the catches that he's gotten over the past few Taysom Hill starts. You know, I just, you know, tip my cap to him. It's like, good to see you. Glad you could do that again. Uh, Glad that's within your range of outcomes when Taysom is the starter. Doesn't feel like something we need to overanalyze because Drew Brees is likely to be back starting 
next week. Yeah, and and I guess the the main takeaway that I have is that there's a chance that Kamara's modest couple of weeks that we've had these past few might get him a nice low reduced price for this uh, Breeze return versus the Kansas City Chiefs and what will probably be the highest total game next week. Yeah, I mean, Taysom Hill's ass, and I pray that Drew Brees is back for this game, especially for Alvin Kamara. But let's say we have Taysom Hill next week. Would you, would you consider playing him against the Chiefs? Just, mm-hmm. just real quick. I mean, in season long, yeah. And on DraftKings, probably not. If he's over 7K, definitely not. I think that he's much more likely to get like two or fewer catches with Taysom Hill than he is to get seven like you saw today, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I definitely agree, but Elvin Kamara, I, I think he is going to be a very good play next week if Drew Brees is back. Hopefully he's back for this game. Uh, maybe not. And maybe if he's not back, maybe they go to Jameis. Maybe, maybe we can get the, uh, the bomber in there. God, I hope so. The blind bomber. <laughs> and just, and just go all in on Jameis Winston in a shootout against Kansas City. Mm-hmm. That would be, fantastic that, but that would be truly a great <laughs> scene i hope we get to see that but yeah i mean alvin Kamara with Taysom hill um I, I think his catching upside is definitely limited um they they were just down in this game so Taysom hill was forced to throw the ball a little bit more and i i think moving forward if Taysom hill is the starter alvin Kamara's fantasy upside is severely diminished which we've talked about over the last couple of episodes but if Breeze is back, Alvin Kamara will squarely be in uh, cash consideration. All right. This was an interesting turn of events today, Joey. The Bears absolutely blew out the Texans 36-7. to And there was a lot of talk coming into this game, as there always is with these teams that passed on to Sean Watson. But especially with the Bears, who, you know, traded up to get Mitch Trubisky at two. And, and I mean, that was, you know, a pretty historical gaffe on their part. Or was it? I mean, Trubisky <laughs> looked like the better player in today's game. So two-part question. One, has Mitch Trubisky done enough to earn himself a potential stay in Chicago in 2021? I mean, it seemed like at the beginning of the year, it was a done deal. He would be gone. But he, I mean, he's been kind of balling out over these last couple of weeks. Trash Biscuit, my boy, you know, led me to a second place finish in a tournament today. Mitch Trubisky, has he done enough? And two... I mean, was it was it really so wrong? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Trubisky is is definitely your your son. You just win tournaments with Trubisky, so I think you should just play him in, in at least one tournament every week, and you got a good shot of binking. And knowing Matt Nagy, if he isn't if he is still the coach in Chicago in twenty twenty one. I could definitely see him being a total donkey and, and naming Mitch Trubisky as his opening day starter for 2021. I mean, he he led them to a win against Houston, but he's still not a good quarterback. It, it was still the worst thing that they could have ever done drafting him above Mahomes and Deshaun Watson and and there was a lot of talk in the DFS space this week about Watson going into Chicago and and lighting them up because they didn't even ask him for a workout before that draft like they were like nah we're we're not even considering you we're we're taking Mitch and that that's kind of crazy but Watson obviously shit the bed in this spot and and Trubisky scored more than uh, Mahomes and Watson this week yeah. So maybe Matt Nagy can uh, 
can, can take the DraftKings scores from this week and <laughs> present it to management and, and say, hey, look, we we made the right pick and and we'll have another <laughs> year of Mitchell Trash Biscuit. I hope so. I really do. I really do. That's my guy. NFL's better with him in, in the league. It is. It is. And uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Bears might be making the playoffs while, while the Texans are like a five-win team. So, I mean, who won in the end? I don't know. You tell me. All right, we got two more stories before we get out of here. And this one is actually not so much of a story, but this was a really impactful week in terms of the playoff picture for the NFL. A lot of moving and shaking, a lot of things appearing to get solidified, teams clinching their playoff spot, clinching their divisions, etc., etc. Three weeks to play in the regular season. But I just want to take a second and ask you if there are any long shot Super Bowl bets you like or any conference championship bets you like, because right now is where you have the value in it. Obviously, you know, the closer to the event you get, the odds become sharper. So, you know, we're still, you know, a good two months away from the Super Bowl. So if you have a strong lean, now would be the time to make that bet instead of waiting until it's fairly obvious. Yeah, I think one of the better bets you can make is the Bills to win the the AFC. Um, I'm not going to lie. I don't know the odds on it. Uh, Didn't look. Do you you have the odds? I know that they are plus 1,700 to win the Super Bowl. To win the AFC, they're plus 800. Okay, yeah. So you're getting insane value on Buffalo just to win the AFC, and then you can take it a step further and uh, bet them to win the Super Bowl. But I, I think that is a very plus EV bet. Um, you're getting great odds. Uh, even if you throw a hundred bucks on it, you can still make eight hundred or seventeen hundred. And they will have to play three playoff games. They probably won't get the one seed because they did lose to Kansas City earlier in the year, but they did just beat the Steelers. Uh, so gained a game on them. And the Bills look legit. I mean, Josh Allen is very good this year. Stephon Diggs is one of the best wide receivers in the NFL, and they have a very solid defense. So this is a team that can definitely make some noise and probably matches up the best with Kansas City. So I like betting on Bill's futures. Um, and you know, it, it still might be a tough ask to go into Arrowhead and beat Patrick Mahomes, you know, one of the best quarterbacks already in NFL history. I think it's definitely a tough ask, but if you're just looking for value, you don't have to look further. It is definitely the bills. Yeah. So just, just two thoughts on that one. I think that the chiefs are the biggest threat to the bills. Like if the bills are able to win the AFC championship over the chiefs or, or somebody like that, then I would just bet them to win the whole thing. Cause you're getting more than you're, you're getting more than double the, the favorable odds there at 1,700 over 800. So, I mean, if they're going to beat the Chiefs, they, they can beat anybody in the NFC. So I, I would just rather take the plus 1,700 for them to win the whole thing if you're going to make this bet. And secondly, just like Joey's saying, I mean, in terms of value, yeah, like obviously the Chiefs are the favorite right now. They'd be playing at home. It's Patrick Mahomes. But am I going to bet $100 on minus 110 or am I going to bet it on Josh Allen and this magic that they're cooking up in Buffalo at plus 800. I think that is pretty easy. Like I said, I definitely agree. And it's probably the best bet you can make at this point in time. If you're, if you want to bet on, you know, a championship future, man, when we started this podcast three years ago, I never thought you'd be touting bills, uh, super bowl futures. That was a complete one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Josh Allen in the two or three years we've been doing this, he's literally just most improved player. Probably. Yeah, in the last last two or three. Yeah. Yep. 
most improved player since we started this podcast for sure. Like, cause he was ass. Like, <laughs> it's that simple. He, he was ass, but they surrounded him with the talent that he needed. And I think that's pretty important to having a great quarterback is you need great pieces to surround him with or surround your quarterback with. So. Yeah, I mean, they had this dude throwing to Robert Foster for, like, a full year. Now he's got Steph Diggs and Cole Beasley yeah, and John Brown. Like, all right, bet. <laughs> <laughs> all right, final story of the week. I kind of missed this. Like, I kind of saw it. So hopefully you have the details. But Josh Jacobs, prior to the game, like like an hour and a half before the game, trolled fantasy owners. Like, he posted on Instagram saying, like, he wasn't going to play. Like, what what happened with this? <laughs> Yeah, so he just went and he went on Instagram and was like basically like Fuck your fantasy teams. I don't give a <laughs> fuck. And and then everybody was panicking on Twitter, like, yo, is Josh Jacobs gonna play? Like, do we sit him? Do we do we keep him in the lineup? And then and that he just uh got fantasy Twitter going and you know, I I applaud Josh Jacobs because that <laughs> that's one of the funnier stories of this year, cause Literally every football player that is relevant in on the offense could do that. And it, it would just send fantasy football Twitter into turmoil each and every single week. And he, he's just a troll. So I applaud him for that. That that's something that I would have done if I if I was an NFL player. Think think that was pretty funny. And then there was a reporters taking videos of him working out, so then everybody realized that he was trolling. So I mean, yeah, what a guy. I probably would have been tight about this, except, you know, I'm not a stoned fish, so I have no Josh Jacobs on any of my teams. So, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I didn't. You know, he, he's just a top 12 running back. Mm, barely, not not for much longer. That's funny, though. I mean, this animosity between player and fantasy, it just seems to be growing. Like, it's one thing to like respond to somebody who's like sending you death threats or like talking to you crazy because you didn't have a good day and it's like yo i just had a bad day like what is this random nerd in wisconsin tweeting me about their fantasy team on yahoo for twenty dollars like i absolutely don't care like i get that point of view from athletes for sure but that's just taking it to a whole nother level to just like just send the the entire fantasy industry into like a tizzy because you're just trolling on instagram that's <laughs> I, I respect it i really do yeah, i respect i respect the hell out of josh jacobs for that <laughs> that's some funny shit but yeah i think that is going to be it for episode 116 of the dfs dose podcast thank you guys for listening we will be back as we always are on thursday with a full preview of the week 15 slate i'm sure we will have a mini pod as well next week for the saturday two game slate there's a million dollars on the line so we will be there to talk about it just uh you know keep posted to the dfs dose twitter or our discord channel to see when that second episode is going to come out like joey said at the top of the show you can support the dfs dose in a couple of free and easy ways like i said join the discord channel link is in the description it's free to get in there you can subscribe to our youtube channel we're getting real close to 150 you're you know everybody's welcome as long as you're not going to go back to our old jonathan taylor videos and tell us we're clowns but everybody else welcome aboard finally uh you can subscribe to the podcast on apple spotify soundcloud stitcher podcast addict wherever you listen to podcasts we are there make sure you follow us on twitter at the dfs dose as well as our personal twitters i am at ben hover b-e-n-h-a-u-v-e-r Joey, tell them where they can find you. You can find me on Twitter at Joey Carey and DFS. All right, guys, we will be back on Thursday.